husband. I was actually, it was um, a bad relationship, but in, instead the way that I was looking at it is I was looking for my next husband while I was married. And so I cheated repeatedly on my um, ex-husband because I was thinking that the answer was just get a good guy, that that was going to solve everything for me and didn't really look and, and work on my part. And when I think about it, it's just like how good of a guy was I going to get cheating on my like, now it sounds totally crazy to me. Like, here I am cheating on my uh, husband at the time, and I'm going to look for an awesome guy. What kind of an awesome guy would want a woman like that? You know what I'm saying? Like, why, if, if there's an awesome guy, he should run for the hills if he saw me coming at that point, and that would make, actually, a lot of sense. So one of the things that we do even in the dating workshop is, because we're the big advocates of this, is marriage is very difficult. If, you, if you're married, you know this. If you're single, you might not know this. But marriage is really difficult, and it's challenging for many reasons, but because you, when you're married to somebody, you, see, you get to see the worst parts of them. You know, everybody, the Bible says, it says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so the person you're married to will see the worst sides of you because they're around you 24-7. And because of the fact that that you care so deeply and you're really vulnerable in that relationship. <clears throat> so you have to have skills to make that work. You have to have skills to push past difficult things. And a lot of times I know as a single person, like my mom was married three times and for some reason it didn't occur to me that maybe I had something to learn before um, I knew how to make a relationship work. Because I had only seen relationships not work and in my mind, I thought all I, all I needed to do was not do what she did or do the opposite of what she did, and that didn't work. I found myself repeating her patterns, you know, almost exactly. So <clears throat> one of the things is because of the challenges of, of marriage, it's very difficult once you have some bad habits in a marriage to turn them around, but it's possible. I really believe that, that you can make you can have marriages turn around if the people are willing to make those changes, and we're going to take a look at that. But it's easier if you're a single person to not be rushing into the relationship to do the work on yourself and prepare yourself and prepare your heart so that you're ready, so that you recognize the, when the right person comes along and you attract the right people as well as the fact that you're able to do the relationship. So that's kind of that, you know, I think it's just the visual here. <laughs> you know what's funny is like, it's just funny, like, this is Jesus talking. Jesus was funny sometimes, like, um, you know, can you imagine, like, I, like, there's, if you saw the Matthew video, they actually have the Jesus acting it out, putting a big plank in his eye and go, oh, let me get the speck out of your eye, and he's reaching over and there's, like, a big beam in his eye. It's just, like, the visual of that is ridiculous, that, but how often do we obsess about what's wrong with somebody else and want them to change and not really working on the stuff that we have to work on, so... Um, let's go to John 15. We talked last week about being in love and how to, um, how to foster that emotional feeling of being in love and how that works. But we had also said yes, last week that there's five kinds of love that you need in a marriage that you need to cultivate. And the one that's probably the most important is the one called agape, which is the love of God. And what agape love is, is not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's a commitment to love and to do actions of love, whether you feel like it or not. That's agape love. It's the love of God. And I want to look at that as being one of the things 
<clears throat> that we want to cultivate and practice even before we get married and definitely in a marriage. So the, um, in John chapter 15, in verse 17, it says, These things I command you, that you love one another. Now, you know what's really telling here is we typically always think about love as being the feeling, right? When you think of love, do you think emotion? You know, how, if, if that's all that love is, how can God command it? I command you to feel a certain way. Do you think that would work? Love, it says in the Bible, is it's an action and it's a behavior. It's a way of living and being for other people that we have control over and that we have choice, especially when it comes to the agape, agape love. So I want to actually look at another really um, famous section of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 13, in verse 4, um, the, the love chapter in the, in the Bible. Um, and so this, this verse of Scripture talks about what this agape love looks like. What are some of the attributes of it? It says, love suffers. Wow, does that even, love suffering? <laughs> and, and not just suffering, long, suffers long. What does that mean? It means long-suffering is particularly hanging in there and working through difficult things when it's not easy. It's having a commitment to not run away when things are challenging and to hang on in there and to work things out. So that's a big part of what agape looks like. And then it says it's kind. It does not envy. It does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. There's no arrogance. There's no ego involved in agape love. It says, love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, which is self-centered and selfish and self-focused, is not easily, is not provoked, and thinks no evil. Remember we talked about how you foster contempt by focusing on the bad things? You know, love of God doesn't do that, doesn't foster and feed the negative uh, parts of people. <clears throat> not, not provoked is not, is not easily provoked. It's not like... It should be that, that you have patience and that you're not bad th situations. You're not reactive. We're going to talk about being reactive versus being proactive in a relationship. Um, it says, does not rejoice in iniquity or bad things, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. The love of God is so powerful, it's just like, there's just nothing. You can't really come against love and win. You know, the love of God, this selfless, unconditional love that God's given us. And we can only love people with the love of God because God's first love does. It's that we have a constant supply that we're not going to run out, that we're not going to burnout. And, you know, I think about some of the attributes of this. There's a book um, that I loved that I read years ago called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Families. And one of the concepts that he talks about in a relationship is making deposits into another person's emotional bank account. That we want to, in relationship, be thinking about making deposits most of the time because we will make withdrawals whether we want to or not. Because we're imperfect and because we're flawed, there are going to be mistakes that we make that we will blow it. So we want to make sure for the sake and health of the relationship to keep making deposits into the person's emotional bank account. It's, it's making deposits so that their tank is full, so that they know that they're loved, whether it's 
and a lot of the deposits are from the love of God that we just were describing. Sometimes we get this, that there shouldn't be ego in love. I know that sometimes people think like, well, they should deserve it to love. God says, we, love you can do whether somebody deserves it or not. This love of God you can give to people, no matter what somebody does or how they treat you, you can still care. Now, that doesn't mean be a doormat or let people walk all over you. We're going to have a whole section on boundaries. That's not the same thing. But purely the love of God is really looking to what is in the best interest of that other person and being keeping your heart where you are giving and committed and loving no matter what. You can even sometimes love what it looks like, which is difficult, is being loving. We're going to talk about this in speaking up. Next week is speaking up. So it's a little bit closer to what maybe you thought about for how to get what you want. So we're going to talk about how to make requests and ask for things in a way that you could get more of what you want in a relationship next week. But speaking the truth in love, sometimes the most loving thing and how you can be present is actually saying harder things or difficult things to somebody. Because you care, not because you're being adversarial, not because you're being punitive, but you're fighting for the possibility of being close to that person and inviting for a better relationship. And that next week we're going to speak all about that. So love is not being a doormat for somebody either, but it is where you are committed to really being there and being present for their best interest. Sometimes people think it's a power thing where they're like, I'm not going to be I'm, like being punitive about your love. That doesn't work. It's not a boundary. Pulling your love away and your commitment to that other person or like saying, I'm not going to say anything nice about them. I'm not going to think anything nice about them. You know, where it's sort of like, it's manipulative. It's playing games. It's pulling strings, you know, to be, to be that way. Because you can, there is so much peace and serenity in being loving no matter how people treat you that they're not pulling something away from you or taking something from you in that. That's the love of God. Um, okay, let's look a little bit, um, cool stuff in there, deposits. I'm gonna talk a little bit about deposits and withdrawals in this emotional bank account. Um, let's go to, uh, what is it, Ephesians chapter four. The reason that it's Today, I just want to focus on what a big deal it is to do your part is because if you don't, if you're constantly looking at what the other person is doing, you have zero chance of it working. It can't work. It's a no win. If you're sitting there going, they need to change, if they will only, if they'll do this, if they'll, I'll be nice if they're nice. I'll be nice if whatever. What is it that you want? If they keep the house cleaner, if they give me sex more. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, seriously, like, we make these things where it's just like, okay, I'll do it if this person does this for me. It's, it's not love. And guess what? It will not work. I've talked to tons of people, whether you're married or single, that formula, it's impossible to make that work. So that's why the powerful thing is really owning what's the part that I bring to the table. Because what it is, is if you're doing that, you have a chance that it could have the, that, it, that somebody else has. It's an invitation that you're creating the environment that if somebody is gonna change or, or have a shift if you're married to them, 
that's, you're at least creating the environment for, for that to be possible. Again, people have free will, so you can't absolutely know, but at least you got a chance if you're doing your part. Same thing for single, you know. It's the it's sa same idea. Okay, so Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31. It's interesting because it talks about the things that withdraw from the emotional bank account. And this is actually a figure of speech that we talk about in the Demystifying the Bible. This is a polysyndidin and an asyndidin figure of speech, just in case anybody's Bible people like, like that kind of thing. So actually in the King James, and I don't know why in the NIV and the New King James they pulled it out because the Greek text reads this way. But it says, in the original Greek text, it reads, let all bitterness and wrath and clamor and evil speaking. It's a, it's a figure of speech in the Greek. Polysyndidin means that there's a lot of ands. You know how grammatically you're only supposed to have an and at the end of a line of stuff, you know? Polysyndidin is a way for you to stop at each one and take time to think about what each of those are. So that's the figure of speech, polysyndidin. I think we're, are we doing that this, oh, sorry, it's this week. I already spilled the beans, I think. Then the next one is asyndidin, which I want to tell you because it helps you to understand the impact of what the Bible's saying, where it has no ands, not even at the end. And that figure of speech means that where you focus is what comes after the asyndidin. Like the big bam afterwards is, is what comes. And you'll see how cool this is. It says in Ephesians 4, uh, 32... So we're supposed to stop and think about all these things that we want to get rid of. Like, there should not be room for bitterness. Bitterness kills a relationship, you know. Um, wrath, anger, clamor, all of those, evil speaking. You know, we want to talk well about, our, about the people that we're in relationship with, too. You know, it's not helpful to be, like, saying bad things about people, whether it's friends or, you know, or... The person you're married to, that's just, it's disrespectful. You don't want to talk to the person directly, not behind their back. Um, and also just doesn't help your heart in a relationship. But anyway, then it says in verse 32, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. See how that just all ran together? There's no ands. Because look at where the focus is going to be. Just as God in Christ forgave you. So the emphasis is, how can you do all this? Because God forgave you. That we want to be loving and forgiving because God went first. And so that's the emphasis. You know what softens your heart? Somebody had asked me this question after last week. They were like, how do you fight the contempt part where you build up all the negative stuff? Part of it is, just look at what's screwed up about you. You aren't that big of a prize. No. <laughs> now, I'm saying... I'm saying, sorry, I didn't, I, God says you're awesome. We're all, you know, there's, we're a gift. God loves us. That, but here's the thing. To some degree, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So every person has the negative stuff. Every person comes with the stuff that isn't so fabulous. Everybody. And so we don't want to set up a scenario where we're not aware of that. And it softens my heart when I relate to Adam, whether it's, some of the things where it helps make me thankful because when I start thinking, you know, like, oh, my God, what a mess. You know, what a mess, Do, you know, or whatever, and start building that up in my head. Sorry, honey. <laughs> when I, well, what I do to combat that, I'm like, well, you know what? He, he's got to suck it up for some of the stuff that 
is not so awesome about me, whether it's the things that, and there's a couple ways that I, I look at. One are the ways that I've let him down in our relationship. You know, there's um, times where we have a deal where we, um, you know, some of the things that, we're, and we're gonna talk about this, is where we never um, cuss, at, you know, in, in argument, um, where we never, like, yell, cuss, things like that, you know, like where we're respectful in the way that you need to disagree, and, and we're gonna talk about that a little bit today and next week as well. Um, but how to do it respectfully, I've, I've broken that a couple times that has broken trust, you know, where I've gotten upset, um, you know, that's broken down trust. There, there was a time that I was not supportive of him for his career, and that makes me feel really crappy. That's, I'm sorry, that's a sucky thing to do as a wife, to not be more supportive to the things that he wanted to do when he became a medic. I was kind of like, eh, do really, and that kind of thing, and not encouraging. These are places that I have failed, big fail, Nancy, you know, in the relationship stuff that I know that he's forgiven me for. So there's, and even the fact that I have had the history that I had as far as, you know, him having, I, I've, I was married before. This is not a blessing. You know, usually people don't, you know, that he was younger and, and you get married, but you have a history, not exactly as big of a blessing that he accepted me for, for that as well was a huge thing. So part of it softens your heart to just be aware of, of um, that it goes both ways in that stuff. Um, and definitely the one about God forgiving you. Like I think about all the things that God's forgiven me for. That, that's huge. Let's go to, um, and that helps you not to hold grudges. Now, so we want to forgive one another. Forgive is not trust, though. You know, you can forgive someone but not trust them because they've broken trust, and that's okay. Forgiveness means you're not making them pay for what they did. You're not being punitive. But that's different than a boundary. So I just want to lay that out, out there because sometimes people think forgiveness just means that you act like it never happened and you trust somebody. If somebody was unfaithful, guess what? That's going to take time to build trust again. And it should. It would be kind of crazy to trust somebody right away. It doesn't even make sense or is logical. You have to have some time to rebuild trust if you've broken that. But that doesn't mean that you need to, like, that you can't work on the relationship until that's restored. Okay. Let me go to another one as far as emotional bank accounts, withdrawals, and deposits. In um, There's another thing that's in the Seven Habit, Habits book that I really loved that talks about seeking first to understand and then be understood. It's an amazing thing in relationship that you want to practice. Let's go to Philippians 2 and verse 3. <clears throat> it says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, and that's what I was saying, like, have a mindset of, of humility in a relationship as opposed to superiority. You know, I don't care if you are superior, it's still not going to help you to think of yourself that way. <laughs> it doesn't keep your heart soft. That builds the contempt. Okay. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. And then in verse 4 it says, let each of you look not out, not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. So um, there's a few things with this. So that means, like, especially when there's, um, you know, when there's disagreements or arguments, one of the best ways to fight for the relationship is to hear the other person out. 
It doesn't hurt any. It doesn't cost you anything. You can disagree, but just having the desire to want to hear what somebody else is experiencing. And sometimes, you know, honestly, where Adams explained things to me, where I had one point of view, I was like, oh, I was really wrong. <laughs> you know, just because I took time to hear it. You know, you just, seriously, you don't have to change your mind, but just the desire to listen first and to want to hear how, why they feel the way that they feel. I really want to understand. Can you please tell me why you feel that way? I really want to get it. You know, some, because usually the conflicts in relationship come from misunderstanding. Sometimes they can come from old hurts. Sometimes it's what we're perceiving is going on versus what's really going on as far as people's intention. Big one is we read intentions into it. We assume that somebody's got bad intentions or is being hurtful or is withdrawing love or has all of these things where we, you don't know what somebody's intention is, you really don't, you know? So to just ask, you know, wanna understand or, or why that's going on for you, I'd like to know more. And it tears down walls, because when you first are, and it's just so, sort of something that you want to practice doing that as soon as possible, um, whenever there's a conflict, because it tears down the walls right away. And sometimes what, you know, because when you get really emotional, you know that fight or flight where you feel like you wanna lash back you know, when, when you're feeling hurt or you want to withdraw and go, I want to run away, leave me alone, don't talk to me, that kind of thing. You want to break through those instincts that's being reactive and do something for the relationship. When we did pre-marriage counseling, our therapist told me something that just really stuck with me, is always make the relationship the thing that you fight for more than your individual rights or privileges. That the goal is to fight to the relationship is what matters that you want to work for, and it's really helped me to just sort of go, like when there's been fights, Adam's actually really good at this, um, uh, is, is initiating when we have a fight for him to just come and say something like, you know, it could even be if all you got is you're really upset, but I, well, I love you and I don't want us to be fighting right now. You know, I feel sad, I just feel sad, but I love you, I know that part, I love you. And I do wanna work this out. You know, even if you think that there's not really a lot of openness about whatever your position is or whatever the fight was about, just saying something that will bridge so that you're bridging the relationship and it's not win-lose. We Part of the thing with arguments is that is comes up because we moralize choices that aren't, that are just preferences. They're not more, it's not morality. There's no black and white. It's just what one person likes and what somebody else likes, but it's not a character issue, it's not moral, it's just, I like this, you like that, and if you like me, you'll do what I like. You know, and if you don't, that means you hate me and you hurt, you know, don't love me and don't care about me, etc. You know, we have all this emotional stuff. We don't want to moralize and make a right wrong out of things that are insignificant. The Bible talks about yielding in insignificant matters. That to really pick your battles when you're in a relationship, you can't have it all. You can't, it's not good to try and control, control somebody or get them to be exactly what you want them to be. It's not good with children either. You know, you want to relate to what's the character things that really matter. What are the big things that really matter in this relationship? Um, you know, and then yield on the stuff that's just you're different, you know, and then have a sense of acceptance for one another. That's a part of how you deposit into the emotional bank account. Okay. Um, let's go to Proverbs 29. We'll look at another one. <clears throat> um, 
Self-control is something, and these are all skills you need to learn as single people. You need to get good at this stuff so that you can be prepared how to talk about hard things, etc. In Proverbs 29 and verse 11, it says, A fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. So part of this is, and next week we want to talk, because when you have feelings, you want to learn how to dialogue, but you don't want to spew. You know, you don't want to say them in ways that are hurtful, destructive, disrespectful, that aren't fighting for the relationship. So you want to be wise in how you're expressing these things. You don't want to shove them down and say nothing. That's why next week is going to be really important, because I'm going to show you how you can dialogue about anything, how you can dialogue about really, really hard stuff, and so that you're not just shoving things down, because that doesn't work either. But to vent, to just vomit on somebody, not helpful. To be emotionally reactive, not helpful. So you have to have self-control in a relationship and postpone immediate gratification. You have to have it be okay that you don't get to, uh, that you can postpone what you, what you need. <clears throat> and part of that is, <clears throat> uh, actually, we'll look at another one that's similar in James chapter 1 and verse 26. It says, if anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, I thought that was funny. <laughs> so, you're not finding the fun funny in this the way that I am. Okay. <laughs> you want to control your tongue. You need, we need to have control over our tongue in relationship, and that's where you have a pause button and you don't just say what's going on but you wait until the emotions quiet down. You do want to be able to communicate it, but not knee-jerk in a relationship because you want to, got to talk about stuff, but in a way that you've got some self-control. As a single person, you need to exercise the self-control. A lot of times as single people, though, what happens is you think that that means that you just don't say what's bothering you, and you shove that down and shove that down. If that's where you're at, you're not ready for marriage. You need to be able to be really good and regularly have, have hard conversations with people that you love in a way that's respectful and loving. Okay. <clears throat> um, no below the belt. You don't want to threaten divorce when you're married. That's seriously, some of this stuff should just not ever be. You know, like threaten your, this is, in a fight, you should never, if you're dating somebody, you shouldn't be threatening to break up in the middle of the thing either. It's not, you know, self-control. Okay. Let's go to one more I want to look at. is in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. So this is really cool because it's saying you are going to get angry. You know, there was a time in my life because I was raised in a... Uh, um, a very violent home. And so I always thought that just anger by itself was just bad. You know, my, um, it was super violent and my uh, dad would just, had an explosive, rageful, out of control temper. So to me, I always thought, I just associated anger and so um, with rage. I just didn't even know the difference. Anger is actually a useful, helpful emotion. The emotion of anger tells us that there's something that we want to right a wrong. Anger is sort of like this thing that says something's wrong that's unjust, and the emotion helps you 
to just say, okay, I gotta fight against something that's, that's wrong. You know, and so, but it's saying be angry, but don't sin in the anger. The sin in the anger is things like being out of control, exploding, not thinking through how you're going to respond to those feelings of anger. And it even says not to let the sun go down on your, on your wrath. It means that you don't just store it up and feed on it and feed on it, that you want to, from that anger, recognize it and be thinking about what you can do that's healthy as far as resolving whatever it is if you're having the feelings of anger. So it's not about that you sh should avoid the feelings of anger, which I did for a long time. I didn't even know that I had anger. I, that I, I didn't know about that. But <clears throat> where you're feeling feelings of anger and that where you can seek God, you can pray, you can ask for help from others in how do I right this wrong? What can I do that's healthy and constructive to, to reach out or to solve something in a relationship or, you know, period. Uh, kind of thing. So that's another piece of the self-control part that you need to work on. People, and this is not going to be automatic. One of the things is you need, God can really help a lot in this, you know, as far as being there for you and people. That's one of the reasons God created the body of Christ and fellowship is because we can be there to help one another with some of this stuff and to process some of these things in relationships. So how to get what you want from somebody else in a relationship, whether it's the person you're dating, the person you're married to, or even how to get what you want if you're single and you want somebody awesome someday. We want to get the focus off of looking to other people to change because that is completely disempowering. It's impossible to get anything that you want that way by focusing on other people. But to say, what's my side of the street? What's my part? What can I do? Take the beam out of your own eye before you take the speck out of somebody else's. Jesus also talks about washing out the cup. So we want to be people that are constantly washing out our cups a lot, that we're constantly in that place of how can I grow to be better in, in relationships? What are the areas that I need to grow in? Actually, I want to just, as a thought for this, you know, I want you for a, for a meditation exercise to think about and you can take notes in your program of what would be the things that you could grow in right now to help you be a better person in relationship. Just even one. If you can say one thing that you could stretch yourself in right now as far as love, as far as self-control over your tongue or whatever the things are. Not being stingy with validation. I'm not going to give them unless they give me, you know. Whatever that is. Whatever those things are to be thinking about what area that could be the thing that you could ask God and others for help to grow in. To take care of your side of the street kind of thing. Your side of things. And next week, like I say, it'll be a little bit not as much of a trick about how to get what you want. Uh, but it'll be how to make requests. Getting really good at making good requests in a way that is inviting relationship and that you're not building walls, that you're not being attacking the other person, where you have a better chance at getting the response you'd like. We're going to talk about that next week. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your goodness. I thank you for how you've made romance. You're, you're the king of romance, God. I love that. And um, help us to have the relationships that we desire and to be the people that we 
want to be in a relationship to grow, that we, that we take care of our part in things and that, God, that we can give the rest to you, that that's a really peace and comfort. There's so many things that are outside of our control, but that we can come to you and seek you in prayer for these. So thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.